This is the We the People, Our American Story podcast. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every week to hear the remarkable stories of veterans, combat survivors, first responders, and American patriots in their own words. If you are pro-freedom and pro-America, you are in the right place. We the People, Our American Story is the podcast for Americans who fiercely and unapologetically love America. Welcome to this episode of We the People, Our American Story. My guest today is Kim Olson. Kim, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Tina. I am excited to be here. I really appreciate what you do. Well, I know that you have quite a story to share. So without further ado, let's get started. Can you share a little bit about your family background? You bet. I was born in Soda Springs, Idaho, moved to Missouri for my dad's dental, and then moved back to Orem. Pretty much lived in the state of Utah since I was born. I have three siblings. I have 10 children, six by birth, four by gift. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, I have a nursing background. I've been uh, interested in a lot of things in my life. Uh, worked in hospice and healthcare for over 30 years. Oh, hospice, that's hard. It is a beautiful experience, really a beautiful experience to be able to ease the burden of not only that, patient, but the family. Do you have any military background in your family? Any history of that? Well, if we go back to the Civil War. The Civil War. <laughs> so George Washington Gordon, uh, my great, great grandfather, I think. And then my grandfather served in World War One. my dad in World War Two. my oldest son in what was it called in uh, uh, during the Gulf War? Sorry. Yes. No, that's and, okay. And then my youngest son was a Marine in Afghanistan. Wow. Where did this love of military or feeling of patriotism to join the military, where does that come from? Well, I can't really tell you about George my, Washington. George Washington Gordon. <laughs> Or my grandfather, my father, because of World War II, everybody joined. I mean, it was out of duty to our country. It was patriotism. My oldest son, who was in the Navy for 13 years, I think he joined just to get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> One of was... the funniest statements he ever made was, by the way, I've joined the Navy, so I don't have to follow any of your stupid rules. <laughs> Did he know there was going to be other rules to follow then? Well, he certainly learned them quickly, but he achieved, he excelled 13 years. He was in the Navy. He was a nuclear machinist. He really is an intelligent young man. My youngest son got that patriotic bug, Nigel, from his older brother. He just wanted to know everything about the military. Nigel and his brother, Quinn, and his dad, Todd, joined Jeremy on the USS Nimitz for a Tiger cruise. What and is that? So it allows families to board the USS Nimitz in Hawaii 
and then sail all the way down to San Diego. What an experience. Oh, there was not enough time in the day for him to run up and down the stairs to watch the planes take off. Submarines that were with him were doing emergency ascents. Boy, he just ate that up. He was seven years old at the time. Oh, what a perfect dream for a little boy. Oh, he loved it. But uh, he always loved the military. He made sure we had a flag in our yard and we flew it on holidays. Well, he was 12 at 9-11 and that cemented his desire to serve the military. It wasn't until he was a senior in high school that he determined that for him, the Marines was the way to go. I find that as a theme that runs through almost all of these stories for the veterans and the military is 9-11. That was such a pivotal day for so many young men. I agree. You know, at the age of 12, uh, that's not very old. No. But he wasn't going to have that. He wasn't going to have his country attacked and not serve to protect our country from that happening again. With your oldest son, I'm sorry, what's his name? Jeremy. Jeremy. With Jeremy, when he was serving, so he was deployed. Yeah, he was on the USS Nimitz. It was the Gulf War. Do you have worries and concerns? Did he have any close calls? You know, he was really protected because you've got those great big carriers and they have destroyers around them all the time. And, you know, he's decks down working on the, the belly of the Nimitz. So I didn't ever really worry about him. Even when they were out chasing drug dealers, uh, I I just didn't have a concern. I thought he's in a safe place. He's not where the action's taking place. He's having the ability to send those planes over, but it's far enough away that I think he was out of harm's way. So I didn't really worry about him. And when Nigel joined, was it right after he got out of high school? Yes. Yeah, a week after he graduated from Mountain View High School, he joined the Marine Corps. And how soon did he leave? He was reserves. So he did the weekend warrior thing. Um, and so he joined in 2007, but their reserve unit got called up in 2009 to go to Afghanistan. Did he have only the one deployment? Yes. And how long was he there before the day that he was killed in action? So they were in country by October. He turned 21 on January 20th, and he gave his life for our country on March 4th, 2010. Did he ever talk to you about the dangers that he was in? Probably not. I know they try to shield that. Well, he might as well have been in the Kmart parking lot for all he told me. (laughs) However, he did tell his brothers that he was being deployed to the most dangerous place in Afghanistan but not to tell me. What was his role there? Well, they called him different things in different branches, but his Marine billet was SSE, um, which is Site Sensitive Exploration. So in other words, he was on the intelligence side. He would uh, go in and help clear buildings. He would find caches of weapons. He looked for any Taliban that they could come across. Uh, So he was definitely on the front lines. Did he love being in the Marines? Ah, he did. It was his place. All he ever did was read military books. He read up the manuals. He, I mean, he just knew it. One of his sergeants 
would read the manual and try and get him to not know the answer to a question. And he never could. Wow. He, he just lived and breathed that. And um, he was not your typical Marine. He was sensitive. He was kind. He was not mean in any way. He was supportive. When there was an assignment, he would volunteer until they finally said, Olson, would you quit volunteering? Some of these other guys need to work too. He was really busy over there as much as they would allow him to be. And I think he loved it. Did he have any time off while he was there to come home? No. He did not. Okay. No. So when we sent him off in the bus uh, in October, uh, he was gone three months prior to that at 29 Palms uh, training. And then he was home for about 10 days. And then they left for Afghanistan. Occasionally, we could get a phone call. There was one satellite phone available for all of them. They were so further south that reception was bad. Uh, sometimes we could hear him for two or three minutes and then the phone would go dead. But he was amazing to call home at least every seven to 10 days. And I'm so grateful that he would do that. What do you know about the day that Nigel was killed? Well, apparently we had, they'd had a terrible week out there, the Marines. Two days before, no, let's see, March 1st, um, an IED was, uh, was set off by someone going across a bridge. And so they lost their first man that day, Carlos Aragon. He died on March 1st. And I was driving to work and I heard that news and I had to pull over and I just wept because I knew that Carlos was in his unit. And so we had made plans to go to Carlos's funeral. But by the time his funeral came around, we had news that our son had passed away and we were on our way to Dover, Delaware, to the Air Force Base to welcome our son's body back home. So what I know is that they'd had March 1st, they had that IED go off. That March 3rd, they ran over another IED and people were injured but not killed. And then March 4th, uh, Nigel was sent out on a task force to help with the people and with the vehicles that had been damaged and bring them in. But they found two people who were, well, they suspected were Taliban. And so they rounded them up. And one of his roles was to blindfold that individual and then walk them back to his LAV. Um, which is the vehicle. So as he was walking that individual back, the LAV decided to come forward and it hit an IED and the explosion was huge. Um, the hole, the picture we have is 10 feet deep and it must have been a pressure plate kind of IED because they had gone over that area numerous times looking for any more. But it threw, you know, Nigel back um, and he had significant injuries. So they called uh, the helicopter to come in, and, and they did say it was an angel flight. They knew that he was already gone. And there's some gratitude in that for me, because my first question is, did he say anything? Did he say my name? <laughs> and he never regained consciousness. He was helicoptered back. We do have a picture of that, because 
there was an AP photographer who came in on the helicopter. So we have a picture of him on the stretcher and the men are just running, doing their best to save his life. And hopefully knowing it was instantaneous and he did not suffer. That's really peaceful to me. I know that's not fair for others who haven't gone through that. I was incredibly grateful that he'd never gained her consciousness. How did you find out and where were you? You said you were on your way to a funeral? No, actually, I, um, I worked in the hospice industry and I uh, went to a meeting in Salt Lake that morning. We were interviewing some hirees and then I had another meeting about noon and then I was going to admit a patient in the afternoon. So I got to the meeting at noon and about 45 minutes into that meeting, I got a text from the office that said, you need to come back. That's all it said. So it's a Thursday. And I'm thinking, I don't usually fire people on Thursday. So it's got to be Nigel. You knew. I, I just had that feeling. So uh, it's interesting, however, the last conversation I had with Nigel, we were on the phone for like an hour. And it was the last day of February. And he hadn't been able to call for three weeks. And I'm freaking out. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And I said, are you okay? And he said, yeah, I'm okay. And I said, okay, good. I don't want to hear from some hospital in Germany that you've been injured. And these are his prophetic words. Mom, if something happens to me, they will come to you in person. So five days later, I got called back to the office. And there were three uniformed Marines waiting to take me into the conference room and let me know that my son had lost his life. So they had gone to my house, but my husband and I had both left for work before they got there. And so they told me, and then my husband worked at the hospital. So we went down and told him. So we left our jobs and went home. And uh, they had told us they had a flight scheduled for us that night to go to Dover, Delaware to witness his body coming back to the United States. And can I stop you here just for a second, Cam? What was that like to tell your children? It must have been horrendous. Oh, it was. Had to call all these kids and let them know that their little brother had passed away, had died in Afghanistan. And there were a lot of tears. There were a lot of uh, emotions. Uh, they can tell you that the days were tough. That day was really tough as they picked kids up from school and different things. And the kids are saying, why are you crying, mom? It was hard. It was a very hard day for our family. And you went to Dover then? Yep. We went to the Air Force Base. That's where they bring the bodies back that are overseas of the deceased military. And what was that like when you saw his flag-draped coffin coming off that plane? Tina, I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, I told you before that I had already lost a son. Yeah, tell us what happened. I'm sorry. That's right. Oh, no, that's what right. No, when I was in my early 30s, um, I had five kiddos, and my husband had taken two of them in his car on an errand, and they were in a fatal car accident. So my husband was 36. My little boy was four. Nathan, who died, and then Quinn was 21 months old. And they were able to restart his heart three times on the way to the hospital. And he is a happy, healthy, intelligent, amazing 38-year-old uh, now. Your husband died in that car accident as well. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. 
I was a widow in my 30s. So the reason I bring that up is because after they passed away, I felt Nathan's spirit, my four-year-old, so strongly that he was okay and that everything was all right. So when we heard that Nigel had passed away, all through the plane ride and waiting in the airport and at the hotel, I felt absolutely nothing. And I'm like, Nigel, where are you? I should be able to feel your spirit. Where are you? Nothing. So we're on the tarmac. We're watching the dignified transfer, which is the most beautiful thing you ever want to see. But the Marines picked up this body carrier covered with the flag, and they had to come down on a scissor lift. In this instant, they stepped on United States soil. I heard him say, Mom, I've been with my body, but now I'm home. That was the answer I needed. And I said to myself, well, of course, that makes sense now. No wonder I couldn't feel his spirit. He was with his body, and now he's back. And I shed tears of joy knowing that that made perfect sense to me and my understanding of life after this one. Were you angry at all after his death? Because maybe you felt like you had gone through so much with losing your husband. And now this is your second son. Are you angry? Are you blaming God? What are the feelings? You know, I really thought about that. Um, Because someone did ask me, are you angry with God? And I just was shocked at that question. Because I never would have been angry at God. Because for me, I know he has a plan. And I know there are no mistakes. And I know that my son, both my sons are okay. They really are okay. Did I go through depression? Yes. Yes, I did. And that made me angry because I'm a pretty tough cookie. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's understandable. But I did. I, I just had the wind knocked out of me. Um, and it took, took a while to get back on my feet and feel okay. So this is your second husband now, is it? Okay, you're outing me, Tina. But it's my okay. first husband was my high school sweetheart. And we got married. And then by the time we were expecting our second child, he found a girlfriend. And he left. Uh, so I was had my baby on my own, right? And then three years later, I married my second husband. And he was killed in the car accident along with my four-year-old. And then I married Todd. We had our one child, which happens to be Nigel. So that's our only hours child. And we've been married 35 years. You know what, Kim? I've decided with my past, you simply have to own it. Don't you think? You just oh, have yeah. to own it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not ashamed of anything that's happened in my life. Made better decisions. Sure, we all could. Um, but that's how we learn. That's how I learn. That was the stupidest thing I've ever done. I think I won't do that again. <laughs> right. And um, your husband now is going through some really challenging health struggles. He has been diagnosed with stage four prostate cancer, which is untreatable. So we are on a timeline with him. He's uh, taking oral chemotherapy. He has an infusion every quarter and um, it has destroyed his testosterone. So he's weaker. He's more tired. And I still make him open the bottles I can't open. <laughs> <laughs> but he has a really good attitude and we have a good attitude. 
And uh, what we are doing now that we have a time frame is pushing stuff in the next few years. So, you know, I have Hale Center Theater tickets. He comes with me. Um, I'm the VFW Auxiliary President, and he's part of that. We're going on a church history tour. When was he diagnosed? Uh, two years ago. So they give him this chemo, and it keeps his PSA low. Mm-hmm. And keeps cancer from spreading. It's obviously, it's in his hip. It's already in his bones. Uh, and it will spread. Um, but it hasn't spread significantly right now. How do you deal with what the outcome will be? Do you fear for the future? Does it scare you? Uh, yeah, uh, it does. It scares me. Uh, it's like, this. dang it, this can be the third time I've been on my own. And um, I really depend on him. You know, he's been my number one supporter in everything I've done since we met each other. And, um, you know, when you lose a spouse that you've been married to for a long time, you lose half of yourself. All the memories that you have to say, now, remind me when that happened, and they'll remember and, and bring part of the story in. But you lose, you lose your half of your memories, half of yourself when you lose a spouse. So, uh, yeah, it's not going to be easy. And, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it with him, and we're going to be okay. I'm not one of these people who say that I'm grateful for my trials. I'm not. Oh, he's in a better place. No, he's not. The better place is here with me. Well, (laughs) the thing is, um, I have two sisters who died from breast cancer. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. Yes. And uh, my mom and dad have passed. My mom died of cancer as well. And if I could go back and change things. Would I want them here? Absolutely. If I could change mm-hmm. that, I would. Having said that, and I'm sure you feel the same way, it happened. And yes, I wouldn't want to do it again. But because of that experience, I feel like I am more empathetic. Mm-hmm. I understand as people who are going through cancer and who have lost loved ones. I don't shy away from it like yourself. I can go up and talk to you. Mm-hmm. I can do that. I feel comfortable doing it because I have experienced loss, not the same loss as you, but I have experienced loss. So I do think it helps me speak to people that are going through hard times. What has it done for you? Much of the same thing. It has um, given me the opportunity to be more involved in the military community in the Gold Star family community. Uh, I do public speaking in hopes of letting people know. So many people don't even know what Gold Star means. Yes. Um, So it's an educational piece. I have been really blessed with those opportunities that I would not have even considered before I lost my son. He has, from the veil, (laughs) encouraged me to make use of my time. Because I always say, When I see him again, I want him to be as proud of me as I am of him. So I stay busy, um, and I think that helps with grief, you know, and the Gold Star community is wonderful. It's an interesting community. It's an interesting group. No one wanted to join. I was about ready to say that. I think Jenny Taylor said that to me. It's a family you don't want to belong to. Exactly. (laughs) And it's an odd 
community because we're all honoring our husbands, our sons, our daughters, our fathers, whom none of us have ever met. But we know exactly how they feel. We know exactly how they feel. That pain, that loss, that confusion, the depression, you know, the anxiety, the hurt. We all have been through that. And that's what brings us together. And now we're doing our best to survive and to make the most of what we have in our life and to honor those loved ones who died while serving our country. What do you do on those days when you are feeling really down? I'm sure you must have some of those when you feel overwhelmed or you feel enveloped in darkness. What do you do on those days? So I'm not going to do this grief by myself. So I involve my family. I get support from those people that I love that will support me Um, because it's too much for just me to carry. Starts in January because it's his birthday and he's not here and he never got a chance to marry even in his deployment journal it says one of my biggest regrets is I never kissed a girl oh he was just so innocent and beautiful person in um, the memorial they held in Afghanistan uh, one of the speakers said if a vote was taken today Olson would be voted the nicest man out here and for a mama that's more than any medal that they could ever give to him because I felt like he was just such a good kid by who his mother was. <laughs> he was a good, good kid. And to join the Marines was honorable. He wasn't out there to kill people. He was out there to support the Afghan people and to bring them a little bit of peace and a little bit of freedom that they hadn't had for centuries. I think that is a mistake that many people make that those who join the military, most of them do not join to kill. They do it to protect their country and those they love. Absolutely. That's how I feel. And there are people that said, you know, is it worth it? And I said, that's not a question I have to answer. Nigel answered that. And it was worth it for him. That's the person that I look to for was it worth it. Are your two sons and your husband... Are they buried in the same place? Well, my first husband, well, okay. My second husband and my little four-year-old, they're buried in uh, Fielding, Utah, which is where my husband grew up. And they had family plots up there. My son, Nigel, is buried in the Salem City Cemetery because that's where we were living at the time. And he has a beautiful headstone that talks all about the Marines and uh, has an eagle on it because he's an Eagle Scout. And the eagle, you know, represents the United States. So they're not buried in the same place. How do you feel when you visit these places? I do it as a tribute, but they're not there. And so, you know, I go down, I clean the headstones, I go on Memorial Day, I go more often, but they're in my heart. They're not there. So it's, it's a tribute. My little sister says that as well when um, she rarely goes and visits my parents or my sisters. And I tell her I go to put the flowers on there because I want people to know that somebody loved this person. Because I believe the same as you. They're not there, but it's like, I want somebody to know that this person was cared for, that somebody loved this person. Yeah, uh, there's a tradition at the Salem City Cemetery where you put candles uh, on December 24th. 
and there's luminaires all around the cemetery done by the elementary kids and the candles are in those and it's the most beautiful sight I've ever seen. And so we go down and participate in that. And on March 4th, when he died, we always go down there and there's always Ritz crackers because he lived on Ritz crackers. <laughs> and that's what he did. One, one time he had a sleeve of Ritz crackers in the back of the LAV and it got stomped on and somebody said to him, sorry about your crackers. He goes, oh, that's fine. I'll just eat the crumbs. They taste just as good. Did so he, he like them with peanut butter or just the oh, crackers? Just plain. Really? Just plain. Oh, yeah. And ramen noodles. <laughs> we sent over a whole lot of those. The nice thing is that whenever he got a package from home, he shared it. He shared it with everyone. When they were in 29 Palms and were really working hard, and they're a reserve group, but they were kicking butt and doing really well. And one of the commanders said, whoever gets to the top of this hill, now you got to realize it's 110 degrees down there, and they've been working all day, and they're in their uniforms. Whoever gets to the top of this hill first um, gets a cold pop. Well, he made it to the top first, but they tell me he only got one sip. He shared it with everybody else. Oh, wow. That's just who he was. He didn't want to be in the limelight. He didn't want to be the hero. He wanted to do his job and do it well and care for the people around him. And he succeeded in doing that. What does the Gold Star group do? Do you guys get together? Do you do charitable functions? What is your goal? Well, I think it's camaraderie. Um, I run a Gold Star Facebook page. I put the obituary of their anniversary of their death on the Gold Star page every day. We have over 330 Gold Star families in Utah. Only about 40 are KIAs, and the rest have died from cancer, from accidents, from PTSD, suicide. And I know that there is a standard about what is a Gold Star family, and that's a KIA, killed in action. But I feel like if your son, your husband, killed himself because of the demons that he experienced during war, your grief, your pain is the same as mine. And so I'm not going to say who's a Gold Star family. I'm going to invite anyone who feels like they are part of that group to be part of our group because they were all in the military when those things happened. I'm thinking of a couple of women uh, as you're talking about that. And it's such a small family. I'm sure you know them. At least I'm pretty sure you probably know them. Mindy Holmgren. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I had her on my podcast. And she said that she felt guilty about being in the Gold Star family at times, because as you said, the majority of them are not killed in action. Her husband tragically died while swimming in front of his family because unknown to them, he had an enlarged heart condition and his heart gave out. It means a great deal to her to be a part of it, but she mentioned having mixed feelings because he didn't die for his country. But one of the things that she goes by is Corey didn't die for his country, but he sure did live for his country. I love that. I do. And that's why for me, my heart is open to everyone. And so everyone that I can find is on that Facebook page that I invite them to join us and we honor their loved one on the day of their death. The end is rest in peace. You will always be remembered. That's for me. 
what I do. I'm currently on a committee to bring a Gold Star Families Monument to Sandy City, Utah. And there was much discussion about, well, we should put names and we should do this. And I said, nope, nope, we're not going to do that. That monument is for everyone who feels like they are a Gold Star family or who are friends and families of that person who died. So there are no names. There is no sponsors. Um, it will be a beautiful memory, a beautiful monument for all Gold Star families to come. Um, we are going to dedicate it September 17th for public. And we have a private unveiling the night before for the Gold Star families. So it'll be covered. We'll go out in the evening as Gold Star families and uncover it and have an opportunity to see it first. Where will that be? It's just right by Sandy City Hall on the uh, south side in, on the grassy area. And how was the design for that construed? It comes from the Woody Williams Foundation. And of course, Woody Williams just passed away, Herschel Williams. And there are now about 92 of these monuments dotted across the country, and they have the same look, same information on the front, and then each city can put their information on the back. So we have certain pictures that we have decided to use on the back. It's just beautiful. There's one up in northern Utah. Isn't there? there is. What will it mean for you to be at that unveiling? Well, I'm just so grateful to have been part of that committee. I went to the one in St. George. Does they have one in St. George as well? We'll have three then in Utah? We'll actually have four. West Valley, I believe, is also doing one. Oh, okay. That's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. And it just touches your heart. You know, we're going to have yellow roses and let each family place a rose for their loved one. We're going to invite people to bring pictures of their loved one and place it against the monument. This is not about veterans. This is not about our loved ones, but it's about the families who went through that sacrifice with them, whose heart was broken, who will live with that scar and that pain for the rest of their lives. And we want to honor them. That's so important to make this about the families. I don't know if you're a Harry Potter fan, but one of Dumbledore's famous lines is, don't pity the dead, Harry, only pity the living. And it's true because exactly. they are at peace and those left behind are the ones who are carrying the scars. Yes, exactly. We'll never see them again in this life. You know, we all we have is their memories. And when you have a kid who just turned 21, that wasn't enough memories. I wanted more. I wanted him have a wife and kids and go forward with his life. And we don't have that. So the first year or two, when we were getting memories of him out in Afghanistan, they were like gold, just like gold, because we're not going to have any more memories. But we're going to go forward and have him be remembered. Do you have so, these all written down in a book somewhere where you can keep them I do. all? Oh, I do. that's great. Um, my husband and I, with encouragement of a friend, started a scholarship at Mountain View High School where he attended. This Carlos Aragon 
who was killed on March 1st, also attended Mountain View High School. And he was Hispanic. His mom came here legally, but doesn't speak English very well. And we just thought, we're going to combine those two. We want Carlos to be remembered also. So it's the Carlos Aragon and Nigel Olson Enduring Freedom Memorial Scholarship. That's a mouthful. I know. <laughs> We've been giving out scholarships now for 13 years. Um, we give out $2,500 to a senior. Um, we have them fill out an application. One of the biggest pointers is what does patriotism mean to you? I love it. You know, I love that. So every year we choose, we get to be on the committee. We are the committee and we get to choose the recipient of our scholarship. How many scholarship applicants do you normally get every year? Well, gosh, it really varies. Um, they go anywhere from just 10 to 40. Oh, wow. Uh, one of the requirements is that if you have another scholarship, we're going to put you aside uh, and maybe come back based on the questions we ask. So one of the questions is, what hardship or difficulty have you been through? And oh my gosh, these kids, some of them have been through horrendous experiences. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but years back at Mountain View High School, there was a stabbing and uh, a senior got stabbed. Well, he was a junior at the time. He got stabbed in the shoulder and he couldn't use his arm. And he put on a lot of weight and he got depressed. And then he finally thought, I'm taking my life back. And he started with physical therapy. He started in gym class. He lost weight. He got his grades back up. Um, and he is now living life to the fullest. And we thought, yep, yeah, he gets the scholarship because he could have quit and he didn't and he came back. So we get to meet these amazing young people, men and women, um, and provide them with a scholarship. We try and make it a secret, tell the scholarship night. And then the counselor says, maybe you should come. And then we announce their name. So it's a surprise to them, and it's so fun. What does a VFW auxiliary president do? <laughs> well, VFW is all about supporting veterans. Um, and so as the auxiliary, we support the VFW. So last Friday, we had a dinner for the, the North County firemen, police officers. They were elected as Firefighter of the Year, Police Officer of the Year. We gave them a dinner. They brought their spouses, their captains, the sheriff's department, fed them dinner, had a program. Burgess Owens spoke. Um, we gave them gift baskets. Um, and it was just a really fun time to honor them. Um, we're doing that teddy bear event again where we're putting the teddy bears together for veterans. And they're going to record their voice in this little teddy bear and then leave it with their kids so that the kiddos can hear their dad or mom's voice while they're deployed. We can work with the schools and, again, educate them on 9-11, educate them on Gold Star families, educate them on patriotism and what can they do to be a better citizen. We have opportunities in lots of places to be able to serve and to support our veterans. What does it mean for you to volunteer in these organizations? Why are you doing it? It's healing for me. And I love the veterans with all my heart. 
because they got to come home and I want to honor them for their service. I worked with the Red Cross um, after Nigel died and I was one of those people who got to contact the veteran who, who was overseas and ask their commander if they could come home. And it was usually an emergency. Someone died, a new baby, whatever it was. And I was able to help facilitate that. And I worked quite a bit with the Red Cross in many different ways and got a really nice award from the Red Cross. Well, it sounds like you keep really busy so that that grief hopefully stays at bay. You're too busy. (laughs) Goodness. Well, my husband rolls his eyes. What have you done now? (laughs) But I'm not going to just sit around because I'm retired. You know, I have time now to volunteer. Uh, I happen to be a senior service missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I work at the Employment Center on Mondays and help people find jobs. So that's delightful. I stay busy. And now I'm with you, Tina. Perfect. I know. It keeps you young at heart how busy you stay, right? Oh, look at me. Yeah, I'm going to be 69 next month. Wow. I'm excited about that, too. One more year. 69. You do not look like you will be approaching 69. Well, and then I say, next year I'm going to be 70. Holy cow, how did that happen? <laughs> I'm 52, and I say, how did that happen? I've had lots of downs, but I've had as many lots of ups, amazing ups. I think that's the secret to survival, is that if we focus on those downs, that's all we're going to be is down. But if we focus on the gifts, the blessings, the future, and what we have today, we're going to be happy. Speaking of downs, we are going through a really tough time in America right now. Oh my gosh, yes. A lot of conflict. Do you think we're headed down the right road? Our presidency has lost its way, has lost its priorities, um, is confused about what's the most important for the people of the United States. I think we're so lost in the politics that we're forgetting that they represent us and should hear our voices. I just feel like we're being ignored. And some of the decisions that have been made are astronomical. How do we get back on that right path? I think we need to get new leadership. Uh, I believe that's the only answer. You know, I won't talk about either party, but I think we need someone who understands the Constitution, who supports the Constitution, who, who can work across the aisle for the good of America and its citizens. I believe too, Kim, that you're talking about the Constitution, that not enough of us, including myself, know enough about the Constitution. I agree. I, I really think that should be taught in schools. There should be classes online because I think most of us think, Oh, well, I'm not involved, so I'm not going to worry about what it says. And speaking of online courses, you probably, I don't know if you know this, Hillsdale College, they have many awesome free courses that you can take online, and two of them are on the Constitution. Every American needs to know more about the Constitution and what our rights are, because you and I coming from the same faith, I believe that that Constitution is the greatest government document ever conceived. And I believe it is so because it was divinely inspired by men who were, are they perfect? No, but they were also divinely led and inspired. 
that constitution is radical in that we are given inalienable rights where before, you know, your rights were given to you by a magistrate, a king, a dictator. Mm -hmm. This document says that we, the people, we have those rights given to us from our creator. If people only understood how much power the people have, they would take voting more seriously. They would take study of the constitution more seriously. That's what I believe. When we're in parades, the VFW and the auxiliary, we pass out uh, copies of the constitution. I love it. So the last parade, we passed out a thousand copies. We pass them out mostly to the kids. So that I hope they take the moment to read it and familiarize themselves with that amazing document. Cam, what does America mean to you? It is the most amazing place on earth. We have freedoms, we have rights, we have abilities, not like any other country. I love America. I love what it stands for. I'm so proud of all those who have served to be able to make this country what it is today. Thank you for sharing your American story with us. Thank you, Tina. Thank you for listening to this episode of Another Fellow Patriot. Be sure to check the show notes for links to this week's guest. For more connection to the podcast, visit www.wethepeopleouramericanstory.com for social media links, patriotic merchandise, and to sign up for the We the People newsletter. And finally, be a voice, a strong voice, a voice for freedom. As Benjamin Franklin so eloquently stated, where liberty dwells, there is my country.